thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Once again, Liberty listeners, I'm so excited to introduce today um, Jessica Cummingor. Um, many of you may know her from her awesome uh, blog, The Elysian Edit, but you also may know her because she's an amazing graphic designer and art director. And today we're going to get to hear a little bit about how she got into the business and, of course, tips for you on how you can really boost um, your brand through graphic design and um, and just hear all the goods she's got to share. So um, before I go ahead and give all the goods away, I'm just going to introduce Jessica. Thanks for being here, Jessica. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got started in the business? I know that you haven't always been a graphic design art director. So give us your background. So I started my career in interior design. I went to uh, FITM downtown LA for interior design and decorative arts and graduated. This was 2008 okay. um, and started my my first job out of college was as a junior interior designer at an architecture firm in Marina Del Rey. So I was the youngest person on that team and pigeonholed a bit as the computer girl. So yeah. was spending most of the night days behind the screen, drafting floor plans, elevations, um, putting together client presentations. So sort of by virtue of sitting behind the computer all day long, I taught myself creative suite and started dabbling in graphic design. Um, I think it's something that sort of always interested me, but sort of segued into it by virtue of just being yeah. behind the computer all the time. And then get, take us from there to actually deciding to become a, a graphic designer. Right. So it's a bit of a, whenever somebody asks me for my background, it's a bit of a windy path. But Do you know anybody that doesn't have a windy path? No. <laughs> yeah. I know very few people that don't have a windy path. I so know. Welcome I'm to the windy like, path. Well, how long do you have? Yeah. So, um, so I was working at this large architecture firm. It was about 80 people. And um, so again, it was 2008. So not long after, I think I was maybe there a year and a half and the recession hit and most of the employees were laid off. I was still there, but my boss decided to go from being the director of the interiors department at this firm to having her own business, which she had beforehand. So um, she took myself and two other girls with her to a four person office in Santa Monica. So it went from being a part of this larger company to being in a much smaller work environment and wearing a lot of hats. Sure. Did you like that? Did you like the opportunity to I wear all I those did, hats? I did because yeah. I was still in my very early stages of my design career and yeah. I think interested in exploring a lot of different avenues within. I didn't, I think I didn't want to be pigeonholed to just interiors and enjoyed, you know, dabbling in photography. And she also launched a textile line not long after. So I was helping her run the textile line and develop that. Um, 
and also since we didn't have a marketing department I started kind of <laughs> wearing that hat and, and then I was the internal <laughs> nurse and yeah yeah and so um sort of through the the marketing role I was designing all of her newsletters and um maybe print ads for interior design magazines that were wow. coming out and um, it was simple design, but gave, gave me an opportunity to start working with layouts and playing in InDesign and Illustrator. And um, I think I knew in my gut that I I just had this thing pulling me towards graphic design. Did you think that that thing was pulling you toward your own business? Or did you just think, I'll just go work for somebody as a graphic designer? I think I always knew that I wanted to be running my own business. And even looking back to my childhood, it sounds hysterical now, but I would play like people, yeah. girls would play sure. house or something. I played, I have a business sure. and I was obsessed with making like writing receipts for the items I was selling and how I was going to sign my checks yeah. and like very into the operations. It's end. funny that you say that. I remember that we lived in a small town for a, a couple of years and there was a woman um, at the checkout counter who had long fake red nails. And I remember I would glue pumpkin seeds to my <laughs> fingers and just play on my dad's typewriter all so day the long. Clicking noise? Yeah. So I'd make the clicking noise. And I was like, I want to do that. That's what I want to so do. Funny. She's taking money. She's playing. With, I just thought that was the coolest. So what is that? I don't know. I don't the receipt know. writing, the signature. Yeah, I would bring like fake up. checkbooks over to yeah. my mom and be like, can you please sign this? <laughs> like, she's, she's like, like oh, sure. no. oh no. <laughs> By the way, just for the record, you cannot paint a uh, pumpkin seeds with nail polish <laughs> just and I don't want to give any bad advice um so so you knew that you were drawn not only to the graphic design but but to, to running working a business. for yourself I think that was always in my blood if I really look back and what do you think uh, was it the flexibility of running a business was it having financial control was it pursuing a passion was it just the autonomy what was it about running a business that appealed to you I think it was the autonomy and the passion so the design thing has always been in me I think as much as I can look back of running a business my mom was always very interested in the concept of home and creating a beautiful space right. and oddly enough she would actually drive us around Pasadena and we would just stare at all the beautiful houses oh, I grew up goodness. in the valley not too far from here and we would just kind of imagine what people's lives were yeah. living inside these homes and just kind of ingrained at a young age of like aware of my surroundings, especially the idea of, of home. So it, it makes sense that I went into interior design. She would even, do you know the Pasadena Showcase? Yeah. Oh, yes, she I do. She would take me <laughs> to that when I was really young and I was in heaven. Yes. Just like the little vignettes and the nooks and crannies. It was, I loved it. Um, it sounds like they're coming for you. The siren in the back. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, this is what happens when we're live, people. Um, so, do you did you know that 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 um, could you imagine that the the visual or the aesthetic from home could go into graphic design? Like to me, they're very parallel in a lot of right. ways. Did you feel like oh, I'm still getting all that that I studied for and thought I'd Absolutely. be doing. Okay. Yeah. So I think I say that to ways. this, right. I say that to this day when anybody asks about, I think it's the, the sense of style, not necessarily sense of style, but um, it's innate. Like a lot of yeah. it is innate. And then you're sort of just learning the skill sets to apply your creativity. Right. So to me it was like, well, am I applying this to a room or am I applying it to a, 
brand identity or am I applying it to an outfit? Because sometimes I even sure. find the same textures and colors I'm drawn to in putting my home together is yeah. the same in my closet. Absolutely. It's the same palettes when I'm, you know, selecting brand brand colors. And it's all very one in the same to me. I think it's sort of, if you have that awareness of aesthetics, it transcends every well, and aspect. Even in knowing a little bit about, I mean, really just from your blog and your website, the way you create white space, the way you allow for um, what you would call kind of space for things to breathe. Here I am in your studio and your studio is a reflection of that. Like, it's funny how your living situation is reflected in the graphic design and conversely, somebody could see that and go, oh, I bet you that's what her space looks like too. (laughs) Um, There's a great quote by Diane von Furstenberg. I like to ask this question to everyone we're interviewing. Um, She says she didn't know what she wanted to do, but she knew the woman that she wanted to become. In those early years when you were transitioning, did you think it was the what or the become that drove you? I think in the early years, it was the what, um, knowing that I wanted to work for myself and knowing that I wanted to do design. Um, it wasn't so much this like grand picture of what my, what I wanted my life to look like. I think I, it was always, yes, I want to work for myself and I'm going to have this business and it's going to grow and I'm going to be managing people and have this product line. I think that was always like in my head. And even though I'm not quite there yet, I can see getting to that point. Um, but also it's shifted a lot as I've gotten older and now it's more about the woman I'd want to become and the life I want to lead. Do you feel like you're on that path? I hope so. I think so, but it's, it seems so from the outside. It seems so. So I'd say kudos to two years only. Was that being intentional about looking at your, your work as it affected your life? Or was that, what drove that? To be, not to sound too sappy, but I, yeah. I met my boyfriend about two years ago now and never had such like a strong and loving partnership before yeah. and didn't ever have that reason to sort of take a look back of... sure. And I also always lived by myself. So it was a combination of like, I never really had anybody being like, wow, you work like a crazy person (laughs) or like, (laughs) are you going to take a break and make yourself dinner and, and little things like that. And it's also coincided, um, with like, I had like a slew of health issues for a long time. I'd say like half my life, actually, it was mostly like digestive stuff, getting a little more personal, but um, it, it was all connected Keeping it real here it was all connected sessions. to work yeah. and yeah. I found that it was my stress that was causing issues in my gut and sure. just this overall sense of like you have to take care of your body it's going to manifest itself and or if you're always stressed out if you're always overworking if you're not taking care of yourself it's going to manifest in different ways and I never even paid attention to yeah. how I was feeling or how I balanced my days and things like that it was just my mind was so one track of work that until having somebody else come into my life and show me how wonderful life outside of work can be right um I mean I've always had friends I don't want to make it sound too like crazy and isolated because you love your work you found yourself so it's not a sad story right it was just a story that needed some balance yeah and I think it he definitely entered my life at the right time of 
understanding that it's not sustainable to work that much and and there's a lot more to be enjoyed outside of work sure and I think it's only made my work better at the end of the day I was just gonna say obviously I feel a lot better and yeah the ability to go out and have different experiences that you can bring into the creative process absolutely and 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 really have your um the outcome of your work and the work on behalf of the clients be better because of that because yeah. you're you're taking care of yourself. And there's something funny about that, I think, with women in general, that this concept of taking care of self feels selfish. It feels like a luxury. Yeah, yeah. Which is and crazy. And it's like, well, why would I do that? <laughs> you know, that, that, right. that is so indulgent. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it's something that I think when we really learn to value ourselves as individuals right. we would never treat anybody else like that no. and when we learn to value ourselves in that way and care for ourselves in that way it just so happens that the end result is a positive one right um, but it takes a lot for us to believe that we're worth that time absolutely it takes a lot absolutely um so you're here to tell us that it's worth it <laughs> i love that so um you've worked with a lot of big time clients and I'm just going to name a few because I know you probably won't. <laughs> but Nordstrom, West Elm, Gap, uh, eBay, American Express, that's just to name a few. Um, you've also worked with some small startup brands. What, what would you say you favor? Do you like working with the bigger brands or do you like working with the smaller brands and maybe why? I think a balance is nice. At this point in my career, I'm working mostly with life's startup or already established lifestyle brands. So okay, I'm going to stop you for a second. Okay. Lifestyle brand. What is that? Um, what qualifies to me? A- I don't know if this is an official definition, but yeah. in my head, it's sort of the umbrella term for food, travel, fashion, interiors, essentially all the elements that okay. you think of making up a lifestyle or how you would define someone's lifestyle. Okay. Like they're a minimalist or they're a globetrotter or they're, uh, but, chef, it can, but it can actually be a physical product or a service within those areas. The brands I work with? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So most, I'd say pretty much exclusively I work with independent artists, um, interior designers, fashion brands. What else? Anybody that's outside of that sector that's kind of for you, like, I don't know where they came from, but this is sort of interesting. Like, it's always funny to me when an attorney or like a pharmaceutical company or whatever (laughs) wants to work with this really um, kind of, I don't want to call you trendy, but you definitely have a big following and you're you're kind of a hot, um, a hot one to to retain Um, when they come to you. Are you like, yeah, no. I, I don't do that. Sometimes it feels like a bit of a disconnect just because I feel that my strength because of working with lifestyle brands and knowing that world very well for the past 10 years, I I feel I have a lot to offer to sure. clients like that. So when somebody else, I actually recently got an inquiry from a tech company and it felt a little off, but at the end of the day, it's I think it's a lot about connecting with the client and the sure. person and if they're gung-ho about it and it feels like a good fit I'm I'm open to it I haven't I wouldn't say I have any at the moment though okay so they're pretty much in that lifestyle 
Yeah, and it ends up being right, and it ends up being if you show that work, you get more of it, or they know other people in that world and refer you to projects like that. So go back to the question on big companies or small companies. Yeah, so I think because I'm such a one-on-one person, I really enjoy cultivating those relationships with clients, and I do really love working with the smaller brands at this point. There are definitely advantages to working with the larger brands. I think it's less personal. I don't know if that would be an advantage, but it feels more, sometimes there's more room to flex my creativity or it doesn't feel as, um, even though there's an end client, I also mostly get, mostly have worked with all of those brands, um, in the content creation capacity. So not doing branding for them. Okay. So they'll come to me and already know my sense of style and aesthetic and, and just want to create something within that look using their product. Okay. So it feels a little bit like, okay, here, do your thing. Um, whereas the collaborations with um, smaller clients doing branding, it's, it's a much more personal process. More intimate. Yeah. You're really getting to know them. Exactly. It's not just me running with my style and giving which, them. Which do you prefer? I think... The balance, the balance is helpful. The balance is nice. I, I think at, at this point, because my head is more in the design studio, I enjoy working with the The, the the smaller smaller brands. Yeah, Yeah. I I get that. I get that you're really helping them to build. It's very um, rewarding too, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, no, it is. It's like, oh, their dream, their vision, whatever is being realized. I get to participate in this in some way. Yeah, and they're usually all very excited coming into it because you're helping them realize this dream. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. What what do you think we can learn, uh, us small businesses, from your experience with big businesses? What do they do well in terms of... Um, the way they approach you, the way they know what they want. What, what, what can you kind of pass along to us? Um, I think they have a good amount of trust in you. It could mm. be because of the layers of people you're going through. Usually I'll be um, in touch with typically brands of that size are going through agencies. So mm-hmm. my communication will be with the agency who found me. Um, so perhaps it's those layers of people that makes it a little more hands off, which can be fun to have that trust placed in you to do your thing and just deliver an end product. Um, whereas sometimes it depends on the client, you know, how, how much they're willing to let you. Flex. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's hard. I've, I've been on the client end and it's, you really have a very particular vision Absolutely. of what you want to realize and there's so much nuance involved. So yeah. And it's hard. even if I think, oh gosh, what a pain, you know, got to redo this yeah. whole design. I have to say every time that's happened, the final product has been way stronger than anything I would have showed them in a first round if they had just picked one and said, looks great, let's go because they pushed me and made me revise and tweak. It ended up something that I was way more proud of, even though the process was a little more. Yeah. Stressful. (laughs) Yeah. A little, a little harder than you anticipated. (laughs) That's great because I think it really goes to show that the collective 
Right. Um, the outcome of the collective can be um, better than than the singular. Not that yours wasn't great to begin with. <laughs> I would never say that. Um, okay, let's talk about your blog a little bit, um, the Elysian Edit. Um, with a successful design business in hand, and we know that from your earlier story that you started with a blog, what made you want to go back to the blog or restart it? You can tell us that story, but why why the extra thing to do why add something to your list what was the value there what what was the intention of that so when I started off in interiors because I was sort of living behind that computer screen all day long I would go home at the end of the day and blog as a creative outlet and this was in 2008 where there was much fewer design blogs at the time. So the audience that I grew through blogging was actually the platform that allowed me to go freelance in the first place. So in my mind, it's always been very hand in hand that the blog has worked as a means to get clients. And though I don't maintain it to the level that I did before, um, when I was (laughs) young and new to a neighborhood and, you know, just came home every night and dabbled. But I think it still serves, for me, it serves as a outlet to express myself creatively beyond client work. And then for people to definitely understand what I'm about and my sense of aesthetic and the world I'm interested in. And I think it definitely goes hand in hand that I share lifestyle content and work with lifestyle brands. So while it is two jobs in the, in itself, running a design studio and running a blog, I never think of just leaving it behind altogether. Well, I know for me, and if, if I were a potential client, um, it's an extension of you. I Mm -hmm. feel like I get to know you from it and feel more connected to you. Like there's a, it's almost like there's trust being built through the blog, not just aesthetically, like a a portfolio where we're Mm -hmm. seeing time and time and time again, that you're creating something that's strong and, um, uh, meaningful. But I think it's, um, it's like a little window into behind, behind the studio. Yeah. So I, I appreciate it and I appreciate how clients would be attracted to that mm-hmm. um, and feel like that this is helping me seal the deal. I, I got the proposal. I've seen her website. Yeah. But this is really helping me seal the deal. Yeah, that's good. To, I I haven't thought about it that way, but it's nice to think that might be the thing that... Yeah, well, because <laughs> there's so much out there and we're looking for ways to distinguish right. people, brands, um, you know, what, whatever it is mm-hmm. from um, each other. And I think sometimes we don't even know how we came up with the decision. We yeah. just know we did. It's there was something. Yeah. And I think that the blog kind of adds that. That's That's been my experience in going mm-hmm. through your blog. Thank you. Um, and then what do you think in launching your business and in really becoming an established art director, what continues to be for you the hardest part of just running the business? Not necessarily the art direction, but the business side. I think learning to ask for help is always a hard thing for me. So even though, you know, I'm at the point where I'm growing a team and bringing freelancers on to help me build something a little bit larger than myself. Um, I tend to always look at every task as like a only 
I can do this and there's no one here to help me. Yeah, sort of classic though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that still like shifting out of that mindset of I'm, I'm not the one that has to do everything and I can reach out for help where it's needed. That's a challenge for me. And to be honest to this day, it's still pricing projects can be a challenge. Um, they, t- they're never typically the same scope for every client that comes my way. And even if it's a website and a brand identity, that website's needs can be wildly different than the other one. And it's always a careful balance of how do I price this in a way that is going to be affordable for the client, but also profitable for me knowing how much time, how much time I have to put I'm going to spend on this. Yeah. yeah. Because at the end, I actually track every minute of my days as crazy as that sounds. And every time I think something was quick, it surprises me how long how long it takes yeah to how long it takes no I I get that and I think that's a great uh just rule of thumb for people it's almost like tracking your food track your days for a few weeks and you'll be shocked at how how you spend your time take you and I know um you know there are often things that I don't I'm not billing my clients for and um and some of that is Oh my gosh, it took me a lot longer than I thought. I don't want right. to I don't want to add that to them, but you have to understand the value that you're giving them. Yeah. And I and I would say that for the most part, they'll rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Like because that's why you've been hired in the first place. Right. You know? And if as long as you're being transparent mm-hmm. and fair, for the most part, they'll be like, oh, "I get it. It took it took a little bit longer." Yeah. And then on top of it being just not only your time, I always I don't explain necessarily explain this to clients, but 10% of everything, everything you're invoicing is usually expenses on the project. So I'm buying fonts, I'm buying stock artwork, I'm buying mock-ups and things like that. Um, Prints, you know, running and getting prints made for presentations. Um, Then you got to take 30% of taxes. Like by the time that number gets dwindled down, it's never, you know, that. As much I as sort seems. of have run my anything, any billing, any it, whether it's when I was running my conference and I had sponsorship or when I'm mm-hmm. billing hourly for my clients. Um, I just 50 percent of it is immediately is the cost is yeah. the cost. Yeah. And then uh, then the other 50 percent is what I have to put back into the business. Right. Um, it's just a general rule of thumb. And it's a lot. And if yeah. you were. In retail, that should be three times. You know, you should be keystoning three times uh, um, north of what your wholesale price was. Mm -hmm. So you're still not even close at 50%. Um, Okay, this is a a great time to transition because you were just talking about kind of running the business side. When did you self-identify as a business owner and not a freelancer anymore? Like what transitioned for you and helped you to realize that I'm not just being hired to do these projects, I'm actually running a business here. Right, I think I've always outwardly described myself as having, being a business owner. I always shied away from that freelance term because I feel like it has so many weird connotations that you're not actually working. Um, So outwardly, I would say I have a design studio, but inwardly I operated as a freelancer. So to me, that was being the person who did everything from contracts to invoicing to marketing to meeting with new clients to doing all of the physical work to packaging and delivering files and the, so much. And I think being a business owner is taking yourself 
taking a step back and looking at where you can delegate and still achieve your vision without being the one doing all of the nitty gritty. Yeah. But I haven't put that into practice I, until the past two months, I'd say. Well, and it's also the difference between as a freelancer or just somebody who's working in the business, you're working in it versus on it. You're not looking right. at growth opportunities or um, scalability like you mm-hmm. earlier. We were talking about your two friends who are graphic designers who have really figured out how to scale their graphic design business. What was mm-hmm. the name of that again? It's called Hands On. That's right. And they basically are creating like templates. S- right. For- so both of them are graphic designers and have... Uh, small businesses similar to mine, but got together and created this site as a resource for potential clients that couldn't invest in maybe the full branding package and stationary set and all that print collateral. So they've created collections basically that are beautifully designed of hang tags, um, business card templates. I think maybe even letterhead is on there and Instagram templates for sharing news and announcements. So you can, have something beautifully designed by a designer that um, is more affordable, is way more affordable and customizable. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and what I like about that too is since we are speaking to people who are in that ideation and kind of startup stage, it's a great a great way to invest in something that um, is low cost but meaningful. We right. understand the the importance of creating those kind of visual connections Mm -hmm. between the consumer and ourselves. So that is, thanks for that transition again um, into, we've um, kind of been splitting these interviews into two parts. The first part, hearing your story. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, And then the second part really to getting kind of the nitty gritty. It's so hard to have an expert in the room and then just let them walk away. (laughs) So I'm not letting you walk away. Can you give us um, just a little bit of background on, you know, this brand, this buzzword of branding seems to be everywhere. I even just heard a commercial for a college where they said, you know, come here and we'll brand you. Like we're going to help brand you, which I thought was kind of creepy and (laughs) interesting all at the same time. But um, I'm sorry for whatever college that is. Um, But do you think that we have stepped into some sort of new millennia that we're describing branding and we ourselves are being branded in in a way that, is it because of social media, I guess is where I'm going with this. It used to be, um, that it was a logo, it was font family, mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, a color palette that mm-hmm. we were choosing to represent our company. And now it's so much more. What do you think that's due to? I think it's completely due to social media yeah. and the influx of content we can consume if we're willing to on a daily basis. It is so much that I think the average consumer that might not even be in design or creative field is suddenly aware of branding and all of these design terms that I don't think were part of the conversation before. Um, And like you said, it's not just the font and the logo anymore. It's the tone of voice. It's the photography and the art direction and like sometimes you can just see a photo and say oh that's this brand that's yeah exactly exactly people are becoming way more in tune to it I think it's where I will shy away is I think there's a lot of people creating personal brands that aren't running businesses that 
uh, to me, what's I'm like, just live game? your life. Yeah. Yeah, what's just, the end game? Just enjoy yeah. that not everything needs to be an Instagram photo. But um, I think it's a huge advantage for businesses that can launch. And in nine photos, you can get an aesthetic across and sure. be like, wow, this person has a great sense of style. I, I'll find somebody suddenly and start. Which used to only be along. in print or television exactly, ads. Exactly. That was the only way that those brands could communicate with you. So the fact that they can do something like that now. Yeah, in you could do it overnight. Forms, yeah. It's sort of amazing. It's pretty amazing. And really has opened the doors to, as much as there's the crazy side of it, it's opened doors to entrepreneurs to be able Mm -hmm. to, um, to compete in a way. I mean, you can be a small crafted soda company and compete with Coke. Yeah. You, you have that ability. People are saying, oh, if given the two options, as long as they know you exist, that they're truly two viable options. That's kind of mind blowing. It's Um, nuts. But to kind of to show the importance of what you do, you have to be able to cut through all that noise and clutter. And I think brand does that when it's done well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some great examples of brands who have done it well. And then maybe some that to me, probably because I work in the industry, you can sort of see capitalizing on a trend or a look and it doesn't have that staying power. Um, so it's sort of about that why of why is what is the reason that this brand exists and what need are they filling for their audience? I think people can read through that very quickly and either connect to something. And if it's beautifully, you know, displayed, that's even better and stronger. Um, but for me, it's getting it's interpreting that meaning in a visual way. Yeah. So the homework you must be doing with clients to get to their why is probably more intense on the front end. It's not just here, here's a bunch of designs. It's like really front loaded with what are you looking for? What are you trying Mm -hmm. to connect? Who are you trying to connect with? Exactly. And what are your long-term goals and who are some of your competitors that we're looking at and how do we set you apart from them? And usually before even diving into the design phase, there will be a questionnaire and pretty comprehensive, um, creative brief, mood board, competitor analysis to really, you almost get to a point where you already know what the design's going to look like before even getting there. And if the right. client's on board, like, you know, it's going to be a success and it's not designing blindly, which yeah. I look back when I started, I didn't, you know, I didn't know about, I didn't have this process refined. So it was designing blindly. There's something important in that. And I think for those of us, you know, again, most of our listeners are in that ideation and that startup stage and couldn't necessarily out of the box Mm -hmm. afford you. But when they do, and they will, because they're all going to be awesome entrepreneurs, um, when they do and they come after your level of business, it sounds like part of the homework that you take them through, part of that process of going paying the extra money to go with somebody that's seasoned is going to get them closer to their core values, who they truly are as a business. The staying power of the brand will be more likely be achieved Mm -hmm. um, versus, oh, I know a college graduate that went to a design school. They can create a logo for me, which I hear this from people. And I'm like, I'm sure they're lovely. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, the $20 an hour is a huge savings to you. Mm but you're creating a mark. You're not creating a brand. Exactly. Be careful. There's, yeah, that huge difference between a logo and a brand. Yeah. 
because the brand is to me the umbrella that encompasses every aspect of the way you're talking to your customers, your visuals, your art direction, your color palette, the typography, everything. And a logo, like you said, is just one visual representation of that. Um, so yeah, it is important to go through that exercise with the clients and I think they appreciate it too because it's asking them questions that they wouldn't have even thought of. No, I've often seen clients come out with a more refined sense of the business plan, not just the brand. They're like, oh, this is what we're good at. This Uh is what makes us special or sets us apart. Or, oh, we didn't realize that we thought we were talking to this demographic. We're actually talking to this demographic. Yeah. So the homework in that process is, is powerful for the, for the company, but also imperative in what they're trying to achieve and who they're trying to connect Mm -hmm. with. So I completely see the value in that. Now, having (laughs) said that, because our listeners are in those early kind of DIY stages, um, they're trying to create a lot of these things that you're talking about alone Mm -hmm. and on a shoestring. So do you have any tips for apps or, I mean, your friend's um, website, I think, is a great mm-hmm. one. And we'll have all those in the show notes. But um, any tips for other apps or, you know, for photography, for graphic design, for anything that we can use to start to um, kind of help us develop our, our own brand, you know, um, yeah. again, on, on $25 or less <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, it's I mean, there's a lot of resources out there, I think. I might not be as familiar with them because I'm used to doing it the, the, the right way. I, no, no, I, don't, I'm like, <laughs> I was like the hard way. Um, but yeah, hands-on is a fantastic resource that I would encourage people to check out. Um, Visco is one that I use often. The, I find it's better on mobile than on, you know, in Lightroom. Yeah. It, the filters tend to be a little heavy, but for those who don't know, Visco is a basically photo editing software that, allows you to, I think, create a cohesive look, even if you don't have a background in photography, if you're taking your photos in natural light, applying the same filter to them, um, each time you'll start to be able to create a look. Right. Um, outside of that, are you familiar with Canva? Canva? I'm not, maybe? Well, ladies, I'm here (laughs) to give you a tip and I'm not even a graphic designer. Um, It's Well, the reason you don't know about it is because you're doing it the real way. The reason I know about it is because I've had to do some things on a shoestring, but it's um, like canvas without the S and it's basically a, 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 a way to create some graphic design templates for Facebook, for oh, okay. Pinterest, for it's, it's, you know, they've got some photography in there. You can upload your own things. It's restricting for sure. There's not a ton of flexibility, but it's, it's enough that you can create some, you know, some uh, quotables or something like that for okay. your, for your Instagram or whatever. So we'll add that to the, yeah. to the list. I'd also add Squarespace to the, oh, yeah. to the list if you're looking to get a site up and running without investing in the cost of a custom build. Yeah. Um, there, there's a few other ones like, um, I'm completely blanking. There's format and then there's cargo. I know a lot of people okay. are using that's probably like a decade old now, but Squarespace is definitely at the tip of everybody's tongue these yeah. days and you can create some pretty good looking starter yeah. sites, I would say. Yeah. And and I think there's some flexibility if you want to build on that, right? Within Absolutely. Squarespace to customize some of those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. I was okay. going to say if you start with a template, 
you so know, you're not starting from scratch if you start that way and need to build if you're adding retail or something like right, that. Right. You could okay. start with a portfolio site, add e-commerce down the line. It's pretty flexible to my knowledge. That's that's good to know. Um, so again, with the these DIY sort of branding tips that you're giving us, I often tell clients, start to create a cheat sheet that's your style elements. So what fonts you should be using, you know, identify the ones that are on brand that, that your consumer likes, not necessarily that mm-hmm. you like. Um, and um, the, the colors that you're going to use. It, can you recommend for our cheat sheet, how many fonts, how many colors? Are there some general rules of thumb that we should be paying yeah. attention to? I mean, there's sometimes I feel like there are rules of design and then sometimes I don't. I tend to err on the side of rules, but I've seen it done successfully other ways. So with color palettes for branding, I always typically choose five colors. I'd say one is a variation on black, white and like a nude or I mean that mostly probably is a reflection of my style but then I'll have like one or two accent colors to kind of make it pop um so five I'd say would make up a color palette and then as far as typography fonts go um I usually use four to make up a, a brand identity so that's a primary headline secondary headline primary paragraph and secondary paragraph Okay. And do you, do you think if we look at creating those and we use them in, in everything, in Mm -hmm. all all of our platforms, so whether we're creating a hand tag or creating, um, you know, a quote for Instagram or just on the website, continue to use those elements. Yeah, absolutely. I think I like to say the more you can beat people over the head with an aesthetic, the more they're going to remember what you're about and what to come to you for. And I think consistency is so huge these days with the inundation of brands and content online. And right. I thank you for giving us that. Cause I feel like I'm often looking at something. And I'm like, I know it's beautiful and I don't really know why. And you're making yeah. me think, Oh yeah, there was, there was that repetition of the four fonts right. or the five colors or whatever. So Thanks yeah. for the rule. We need rules sometimes. <laughs> um, one of the things I know about you having um, kind of gone through the, the process with you in the past, but also just from knowing people that know you is that you're a great listener and you value your ability to listen to clients. Can you tell us why that has been so important um, for you and um And I think how those of us who perhaps haven't flexed that listening muscle (laughs) so well, um, how we can maybe do that, like, you know, ask three more questions or whatever. So maybe first with the why. Why is that such an important uh, piece of the of your process? I think being in a service based industry, it's not just, you know, if I was a fine artist, somebody would be coming to me and saying, create this and I'm just going to put a price on it, you know. Um, they're coming to me for a service. And at the end of the day, there is a client, you know, that I'm delivering my work to. So my biggest priority is to make them happy and feel like their investment was worth it. And they enjoyed the process and felt involved and felt heard, I think is a really big thing in life and in business. I think that's the root of good friendships too, is just knowing any relationship, being able to listen to somebody's needs, even if it's not being said outright, being yeah. able to read between read the between lines, the lines sure. exactly. And all those nuances that, you know, even if it's on a video call, you can see facial expressions. It's, it's so crucial to 
you know, extract the information you need and turn it into something because they're not always going to come to you saying, I want this, this and this. And usually through the process of listening, you'll get glimpses of other things. And sometimes I'm, you know, for example, a client will, oh, I grew up in New Mexico. And it's like, tell me more about that. And come to find out that maybe their grandmother was actually what influenced them wanting to start this business. And how do we bring that out in the story? And that's what makes you unique, whether or not you realize it. And I think same as myself, sometimes you just need somebody from the outside to see you. And And call out what those unique things are, what separates you. And for you, because you grew up with you. Yeah, you're like, I don't know. I've always had that. Exactly. And somebody else can be like, no, that's a really strong quality. Let's talk about it and let's let's you know bring it to the forefront I love that too because everything we've talked about with social media and kind of the speed in which life is happening um the ability to be in relationship whether it's professional or otherwise with somebody who can listen is so unique so whether it's intentional or not from a client care perspective not just getting the end result that you want to get, Mm -hmm. but from really walking alongside the client, especially when there are these small businesses that are coming to you, like this is their baby, right? This is their, like they are birthing this thing and you are, and they're letting you in that (laughs) delivery room. And so your ability to listen to them and walk alongside them, hold their hand, pull them, whatever, whatever at different stages they need. I think when they hear or when they know that somebody has that capacity to really listen and translate what Mm -hmm. they're saying, they end up becoming more vulnerable and they actually give you more nuggets. They actually give you more to go on. And in the end, um, you're able to produce something that's probably takes kind of a more holistic approach to what they brought to the table. I think that term is somewhat overused these days, but I definitely feel that way about my business because I'm such a one-on-one person and a lot of these client relationships end up as friendships at the end. I, it's so important for me in and outside of business to create, if I'm sitting across from somebody creating like a accepting environment to share and let go and not feel judged and things like that. So I think carrying that into my business has been very valuable and especially with women, it's like, kind of nurturing that relationship and, and yeah, making, making them feel heard. So Jessica, anybody who knows you knows you have a a great social media following. And for those of you who don't, what is that handle? Is it, is it the, Oh, just my name. Yeah. It's just Jessica Cummingor. Well, we're going to spell that. I'm like, someone's going to need a spell check. Oh, oh, okay. We're getting the nod. We're just going to put that into (laughs) the show notes. But Jessica Cummingor, um, for everything, for Twitter, for... It is, but my name, last name's a little long for Twitter, so I had to take out the O. Um, But so I would say check the show notes. Also in the show notes. (laughs) Also in the show notes. So tell us a little bit then about how you grew that following in a way that was an extension of who you were and um, and I think intentional is the word that comes to mind because right. I think a lot of a lot of Instagram accounts grew because they were either early adopters mm-hmm. or so tell us kind of what your story is and, and then tips on how we can grow ours. Yeah, I wish I knew more on the tips end, but I, I think I've just been using it for a long time and also because I had that audience on the blog. Yeah. Um, 
it sort of was an extension of that when I adopted the platform. So it's been a fairly gradual growth on Instagram. I don't, I didn't get on any suggested users list or anything like that, but um, it's been an interesting evolution of the app. Yeah. Anyway, it's curious. I'm curious to see how, where it goes, but um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's like a general rule of thumb of consistent posting. Um, for me personally, I think it's just about authenticity and being genuine and sharing what moves me mm-hmm. and oh, in a way that I think might speak to other people. Um, I think I find that, you know, if I share something personal or maybe a, a quote that really spoke to me I'll find that a lot of people it resonates with them as well so uh, Mm -hmm. in that sense I feel like I've cultivated an audience that values the same things Um, and I think that comes from just being genuine and thoughtful in your responses and appreciative of the people who are following you and I know there's a lot that can be said in terms of consistency and posting three times every day and at certain times and I don't necessarily subscribe to that as much as I used to. I definitely felt a pressure in the past, especially as a business owner who got most of my work through social media. It was like, Oh, I haven't, I haven't posted. I have to get something up and it didn't result in anything good. I wouldn't say it resulted in anything bad, but I think if you don't put that pressure on yourself and just share you know, as organically as possible. And when something inspires you or you feel inclined to take your phone out and snap a photo of color palette. And I, there's a theme for sure with my images. And I think it's spaces that inspire me a lot of flowers. I tend to be drawn to with colors and textures and things like that. And it's like the quiet moments in life that I appreciate the most. And yeah, I think just kind of finding your voice through taking multiple photos. Cause if you look back, it wasn't always like that. It's, it's sure. um, refined over time for sure. Do you, when you set out to take a picture um, or to post, are you thinking, I want to share something that's meaningful to me. I want to inspire. I want to, I want to educate because I'm an expert in this area. Like what's the, what's the motivating factor for Behind you to post? Sharing. I think it's a combination of I want to share something that moved me that might speak to somebody else or inspire people because it's never my goal to, you know, come across as my life is so perfect and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And well, it is, but (laughs) yeah, it's it's not. And I think for anybody that it looks like that, it never is. No one's life is. I think we all have to understand that and begin with that. Right. And I think just to, you know, create a relatability between you and people that are following you and never, I'm like really conscious of that, of not, you know, what do they call it? FOMO or like invoking any sense of like, oh, I wish I had that. I would never want somebody to feel like that. It's more being inclusive and what nugget of wisdom can I share that's going to make somebody's day brighter? Even if it's just a photo and they're having a bad day and maybe they can, oh, there is beauty in these simple, if I just look up at the sky right. or it sounds cheesy, but it's very yeah. true. And I find that in life of, if I put fresh flowers in my house, I feel a lot better and sure. <laughs> little things like that. So I think I, I don't usually take an educating role too much on Instagram. Um, I'm actually in the process of, 
I've just created a business name. This is a bit of a tangent business name separate from Jessica Cummingore studio that I'm hoping to fully ride with in the coming months to kind of Mm -hmm. set the tone for having other people working with me. Um, it's a little bit bigger than myself, similar to what I did with the Elysian edit, but for the graphic design studio or the design studio, um, so I think on that platform, I might take a little bit more of a role of like, this is what we do and this is what we offer. These are our services. This is work we've done. Whereas the personal Instagram feels more like this is just a slice yeah. of my life. Which is always a trick. I get that question all the time. Should I be my name on social media right. or should I be the company name? And that's where the, that's where the rub is. Exactly what yeah. you're talking about. It's like, I just want to be myself, but also... I want to be able to expand on the the business. So I I think what you're saying and and you know just about the the authenticity is probably the most important thing we can take away from that because we don't know what's happening with Instagram or social media in mm-hmm. general and I think that's something that will always resonate with people. Absolutely. No matter what happens with with this platform. Um so um, we're going to just go in, move into kind of one of my favorite parts of this uh, interview, which is the quick six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to ask you six questions that you have to answer on the fly. Rapid fire. <laughs> yeah. And this is, yeah, this is so that our audience can, can get to know you even more, Jessica. So are you a nine to fiver or a flex scheduler? Nine to five. Um, and vacation in the mountains or the beach? Mountains. And would you rather work from home or office? Home. And tea or coffee? Tea. Which all day, every day. Yeah, there's three cups <laughs> sitting in front of us, so that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, work alone or with a team? I think if I had to choose, I would say alone because I'm such an introvert. But the I've noticed recently that I really appreciate the value of working with a team as well. That's cool. And we're seeing that in your business as you've talked about some new things coming up. And then hardest one, Thai or Mexican? tie not hard <laughs> not so hard not so hard for Jessica um so we're gonna wrap but first I just want to ask do you have any parting words of wisdom for these women who are listening to you and your story and your um you know sharing your advice anything you want to leave them with I think as women we can definitely feel the need to be everything to everyone. And I think recognizing that we're all human and we're only one person and can only do so much in one day to start small and be clear about your vision and more along the lines of working smart, not hard, which I'm telling myself this too, because I worked hard for many, many years and not smart, but, um, Yeah, narrowing in on a a focus and what your end goal is and sort of chipping away slowly at that each day instead of feeling overwhelmed by the big picture and needing to do everything. That's, you kind of said it all. So (laughs) thank you so much for that. Thank you for this time. I loved um, just personally having uh, some time to connect with you. And um, for all of you listening, we will have, again, all of Jessica's handles and website information and everything on our show notes. So check it out on uh, libertyforher.com. And thank you so much for that, having me. Oh, my gosh. It was great <laughs> to have you. Um, and I think we're out, right, Beth? Yep. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, 
Google Play and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot, as evidenced here. See you next week. Bye.